The Dry Cleaner Cast presents Need to Know. Need to Know is a podcast featuring conversations with security experts focused on the terrorism and intelligence stories dominating the headlines. This podcast is written, edited, and presented by Chris Carr. This is Need to Know. Today we are joined by author and journalist David Nywert. David has written the fantastic book Alt America, The Rise of the Radical Right in the Age of Trump. If you listen to episode 18, I interviewed David about that book. David also writes for the Southern Poverty Law Center's blog Hate Watch. In response to the Tallahassee Yoga Studio shooting, we will be taking a look at the incel movement online, its history of threats and violence towards women, and its connection to the alt-right. We will also be discussing the far-right connections to the MAGA bomber and the Pittsburgh shooter who targeted Jewish worshippers at the Tree of Life synagogue. This is quite a packed episode, but I think it's a very important one. And also it's worth noting that David and I actually recorded this interview on the day of the US midterm elections, which we reference briefly towards the end. This is quite a serious episode, but I hope you find it interesting. Thank you for listening. Opinions expressed by guests on this podcast do not necessarily represent those of the filmmakers and sponsors of the film, The Dry Cleaner. David, welcome to Need to Know. Good to be back here, Chris. For the benefit of listeners who may not have heard our previous episode together and may be unfamiliar with you and your work, can you just tell us a little bit about your background? Um, I'm a... An old, old saw. I've been working in journalism for you know since the late seventies uh, in newspapers, and I happen to be in Northern Idaho when the Aryan Nations moved in there. Yeah. Uh, so I have a long background in dealing with uh, uh, far right extremists. Um, I started covering them more intently in the nineteen nineties, mm-hmm. and um, have kind of maintained it as a beat since uh, the mid nineteen nineties, and. Um, you know, gained some expertise in domestic terrorism. Uh, I've written a number of books on the subject, including books about hate crimes, militias, and and uh, the spread of extremist ideas into the mainstream. So my most recent book is Alt America, The Rise of the Radical Right in the Age of Trump. And uh, it's coming out in paperback this month. Oh, is it fantastic? Well, if people who are listening haven't heard our chat, we we talked about it, I think, um, was in episode 18, and it's a really, really good book. Um, How is it going sales-wise and stuff? Is it going well? Yeah, it's going really, it's going very well, Uh, especially the last month. (laughs) I wonder why. Yeah, it's actually pretty interesting. Um, it's, It's been selling really well, even though, or really solidly, just not spectacularly. Partly because it's been really hard for me to get media time in the states. Uh, the the American media is really reluctant, has been really reluctant, to actually uh, deal. Uh, my book explicitly connects Trump to the radical right, and that's apparently considered gauche or rude to point out or something in the states. Um, so it, it, I, you know, I have a lot of people shying away from having me 
in on TV. Uh, I did a tour in Australia and New Zealand mm. uh, in August and September that went spectacularly. Uh, and I'm selling tons of books down there too. Brilliant, brilliant. We're going to move into the world of incels. Um, yeah. So <laughs> for the benefit of listeners who may not know what an incel is, um, what is an incel? What is the incel movement? means, well, of course, it's short for involuntary celibate. And it's kind of an outgrowth of, it's definitely an, uh, an outgrowth of the alt-right and the whole culture of, uh, the, especially the trolling culture that you find on 8chan and 4chan and, and Reddit and places like that, that is also very much home of the alt-right in many ways. Um and it's basically it's similar to the Gamergate complaints um, that uh, women are being destroyed by feminism, and so they don't want to um, put up with uh, traditional males, right? So you have all these guys that call themselves basically traditional males, although in many cases they're just guys who. Um, live in their parents' basements and can't get anybody to date them. But <laughs> it's it's actually kind of pathetic. And they even admit that they're pathetic. That's the the sad thing about it is that they even acknowledge that they're that they're not very attractive, but they believe they should be getting sex anyway. Uh you know, and and all I can, all you really want to say to them is, well, you know, maybe you could work on making yourself a more attractive human being who actually listens to people and that sort of thing. Um, but you know, that doesn't seem to. <laughs> they seem to be of the mindset that um, no, they they should have women fawning at their feet uh, uh, because of traditional roles, blah 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 blah. Yeah, because you know they're they're good breadwinners and and we know you know that sort of thing. It's um, and so it gets all tied in with this white nationalist stuff about feminists trying to destroy uh, Western civilization and that sort of thing. That's uh, cultural Marxism writ large. Gosh, I remember that phrase, cultural Marxism. That's a fun one that gets banded about, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's very popular on Breitbart. You may notice uh, it. It is, a, you know, cultural Marxism is a hoax. Um, it was basically, um, or at least it's a hoax concept. Is this uh, concept basically devised by these white nationalists in the late nineties? A guy named William S. Lind more or less came up with the phrase, and. Uh, he started selling it, you know, he, he sold it through the Free Congress Foundation there in the U.S. for several years. And he got picked up by Pat Robert, or Pat Buchanan who um, and others in the white nationalist movement, both paleoconservatives and white nationalists, started uh, bandying the idea about. And by 2009, it had actually, you know, taken on a life of its own and was considered a a real thing by people within the white nationalist movement. And, and so that was, and it, it really kind of gained new life in Gamergate because, you know, these guys go on to 4chan and go, God, I hate these feminists. They're trying to ruin my life. And the, the white nationalists would chime in and say, Hey, well, you know why it's because of cultural Marxism. <laughs> right. And that was how they work. That's how they recruit. That's sort of the mechanism. Uh, the path that they go down, and that's how they, that's how they pull all these young men. There was a very interesting story uh, this week uh, about how um, 
white nationalists are recruiting through these gaming platforms, video gaming platforms, particularly uh, chat rooms like those in Steam and uh, Discord and elsewhere. Um, and uh, basically, and especially Discord, they've, they've found it to be a huge recruitment center. Um, and because, you know, you get these naive young guys that don't know anything about history. They, they can tell you all about games. They don't know anything about history or reality or politics or anything like that. So they're just prime meat for these guys to go in and recruit. And, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's pretty disturbing. And, th- and so that's what a lot of the culture is of incels. I think in many cases, I think many of them are gamers. Uh, I think many of them are, most of them are definitely young men with uh, poor social skills and their hero is, you know, this gentleman named, uh, Elliot Roger, who in 2016 went on a, uh, killing rampage in Isla Vista, uh, California. Uh, I'm sorry, 2014, sorry that Roger did that. And, uh, Complaining, you know, he left behind this sort of video uh, manifesto about how um, uh, women should be worshiping him instead he, he has to go kill them, <laughs> right? And and they have, and in, indeed, in, incel culture has inspired a number of uh, mass killings in addition to Roger, um, notably the uh, guy in Toronto a 22-year-old man in Toronto who drove his van into a, a crowded shopping area and tried mowing down, and did mow down women with his car. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's been that recent, there has been a recent shooting, hasn't there, in Tallahassee at the yoga studio yes. and the killer, what was his name, Scott Brearley, who he's walked into a studio and basically he shot six women, killing two of them. And it's transpired. He had a history of harassing women and posting videos on YouTube expressing his misogynistic sort of views and racist views and he also expressed sympathy for the incel movement um is there anything that stood out so far that you've sort of seen about this particular case uh, is there any, any thoughts you have on this the views that he expressed were very much typical of the views you would find expressed in incel culture generally and it is extremely violent and it is vile and it's really hateful it's unhinged and yet, how do you, how can you move on that? You know, how can you, you, you can't arrest somebody for ranting maniacally online, mm. and nor should you be able to. I mean, that'd be half the internet in the end, wouldn't it? Yeah. Uh, these are definitely warning signs. And maybe it's something that the rest of us kind of maybe need to take a hand in is um, start watching out for our friends who are uh, going over the edge. But, yeah, incel culture itself is very much over the edge. So um, I have no idea how you would ever um, be able to handle that, you know, in terms of doing anything preemptive. But it's so toxic. And, and this is part of the general problem with with the alt-right in general is, you know, because, partly because it is Internet-based and on the Internet dehumanization is so easy and so common um, that, you know, it's just, it's just a natural breeding ground for this stuff. I'm quite interested in what we can do for sort of family and friends who potentially are at risk of becoming 
intels or sort of showing the symptoms shall we say or the signs of um of getting into that ideology and what what are the sort of well are there any particular indicators that people should look out for at the early stages um and are there you mentioned before sort of online gaming um yeah so are there any other platforms other than gaming that people should be looking out for that they're you know that their children are on or something like that because it's young it basically it's young men um who are able to get access to the internet who seem to be at risk from this at the moment well obviously the really hateful sites like daily stormer and that sort of thing which is basically um you know it's neo-nazism for 14 year olds and uh, 14-year-old boys, that's what it's designed to be. And uh, it's, it's, it's frighteningly effective. Um, but, you know, the more common is 4chan and 8chan. I mean, if you've got kids hanging out on 4chan and 8chan, I'm sorry. you got to take it away from them. Because that, that stuff, that's it's just a sewer. It's a cesspool. And... Um, yeah, or you got to do something about it, or you got to deal with it somehow, intervene somehow, because um, you know 4chan and 8chan are just cesspools. Mm. On Discord and on Steam and on places like that, um, you know, be be watchful because they can really encounter these recruiters there, and um, you know, and ultimately, I think the in general, I think the less time online the better kids are and in, in, in general you know i think we're finding out so much about what screen time does to your brains that it's not necessarily a good thing now of course i have a parent who has a kid who's constantly doing screen time so it's one thing to say that it's another thing to actually be able to do anything about it but um but you it, you know, uh, and ultimately, you know, it does come down to what are your values and how well do you, how well have you imbued those values in your kid? Um, because that, that will do you a lot more good than anything trying to be preventative. Um, because they're going to encounter this stuff eventually anyway. Is it worth is it worth having the conversation, a bit like sex education, is it worth having the conversation before they discovered it themselves? Yeah, I think so, totally. I think you, I think you should let kids know, yeah. I, I, think, I don't think you should let kids wander into the internet um, without a, a talk about, well, you are going to encounter some real screwed up people on the internet, kid. <laughs> and you should do, you know, and kind of give them a warning, you know, heads up so that they're, they have the tools to recognize and deal with it. Um, cause kids are impressionable. Hmm. I think so. The, you know, the, those are the sites. Yeah. Like I say, 4chan and 8chan that, that if you're concerned about that sort of thing those are the ones to watch for yeah and, and but in in general i i think a lot of it has to do with you know are the are your kids getting in social time are, or are they just hanging in the basement all the time uh they should be getting social time and it, you know it's fine to hang in the basement uh, periodically but um all kids need social time so those mm. kinds of things are Again, uh, sort of warning signs, 
that that they can be going down some really some bad paths. I've got a list of killings linked to incels in front of me at the moment. Mm-hmm. And one that's just standing out in my mind as we're chatting is the is Nicholas Cruz, who was the you know he was the student and gunman from the Stone Man Douglas High School in Parkland, the Parkland shooting, yeah. and he was inspired by Elliot Roger. He said uh, he put something online saying Elliot Roger will not be forgotten. Yeah. There's a whole bunch of them that we can say are being inspired by the incel culture. And, you know, it's not incel culture by itself, but but there's something uniquely um, hateful and um, pathologically angry about incel culture that uh, seems to really unhinge young men. Basically, and, you know, it's it's another way of... of People telling them, it's not your fault. Nobody wants to have sex with you. Really, it's not your fault. It's the whole evil world. And, and so because of that, you should just strike out against it. I mean, it's it's a bizarre sort of worldview, but there you have it. What was it they said in the Batman movie about some people just want to watch the world burn? And yeah. that, that's these guys. Yeah, definitely. And and it's always, you know, it's again generalization, but it's always easier to blame other people than yourself. And as you were saying earlier about the the far right are looking for these people and giving them a kind of a context, aren't they, with um, mm-hmm. their obsession with feminism and, and their concern that it's, you know, it's changing the world. Yeah, no, I, I, I think that it's part of um, you know, what we have talked about how, I mean, a lot of these, a lot of the, the alt-righters are uh, actually young men from very well-to-do backgrounds who have um, a great deal of, you know, who have a great deal of privilege. And many of them are just complaining about uh, the, the, their loss of privilege or the fear or they're fearing for the loss of privilege that they enjoy. And it's kind of crazy. Elliot Roger himself. I mean, I remember. Um, so it was back in 2014, wasn't it? When he and he, it was dubbed the his his mass murder was dubbed the Hunger Games killer because his because he was the son of the one of the assistant directors on the Hunger Games. And I I remember somewhere I think it was either one of the videos that they posted up on um, on the news after the fact where he was complaining about he didn't get the luxury car he wanted for his birthday but he got a different luxury yeah. car to the one he wanted I mean this is a, not a guy who was hard up um, I mean it's madness I mean yeah Elliot Roger I mean so Elliot Roger he he sh- he killed six people he actually I think he stabbed most of them and then he went on a shooting mm-hmm. spree targeting mainly right. women and he and he injured 14 people um yeah and he killed himself in the end didn't he yeah well and he he originally pulled up to a sorority and he was going to go inside with a gun and begin mowing girls down uh, but the sorority was locked so then he turned to just shooting people who were or killing people who were nearby yeah and as you said he stabbed several people first but yeah um and it was uh, just out of this pure this pure rage that is comes from the the possibly the least sympathetic sector on the planet spoiled rich kids it's yeah. it's and because they're too spoiled i mean it's just man what is what can you say um because you know people who come from ordinary backgrounds where you learn to work and where you don't have everything just handed to you 
um, you know, I come from a working class background and I was just always taught that I had to work for everything I wanted to get. And that included, you know, my romantic interests and everything else. Um, these guys seem to think it should be handed to them. And it's, it, how do you deal with that? How do you tell them, no, I'm sorry, you don't get everything handed to you. Uh, mm. How can you explain that to people? I don't know. It's it, it's it's a bizarre one for me. I I still haven't completely wrapped my head around it, to tell you the truth. No, neither do I. I mean, I think some of it is definitely linked into the debate around consent and boys sort of young boys understanding about consent. Um, and I remember when I, I mean, honestly, when you're growing up, dating is confusing. Um, I mean, I personally never had a sense of, oh, somebody should want me. I just, um, you know, it took me a while to sort of find the right people. Um, but I remember there are all these terrible books. Um, and for life, I can't remember the name of them. I think one of them, what was it called? The Rules of the Game or something stupid like that, where, mm -hmm. you know, where these people sort of do all these strange, you know, they act in a very strange way to try and entice women and stuff like that there's there's a very strange culture around male dating and i oh, think yeah. I, from my experience the worst people for advice about dating were other men right right well so and and that's the thing it is definitely attached to this misogynist culture mm. this part of um the all right and and those people uh, included these pickup artists who um these guys like uh Rouge v who specialize in how to pick up women things and it's all, you know, Rouge V has basically been chased out of countries for his tales of rape. And uh, he's basically uh, uh, supporting rape culture. And so, I mean, that is part of it. Um, and then there's, you know, then there's the sort of light version of all this. And that's uh, Jordan Peterson, um, who's also very popular online. And Peterson, you know, of course, uh, his 12 Rules for Life is all about, you know, telling young men to, to clean your room and, and do that sort of thing. But it's actually, at the end of it, it's, it's profoundly authoritarian. And indeed, uh, Peterson himself is, is really deeply authoritarian. He recently did the, uh, the new introduction to Solzhenitsyn's Gulag Archipelago. And in it, uh, he contains, a, he has this, near the end of it, he goes onto this screed about how inequality is the natural state of things and that any attempt to, to impose equality is, uh, is messing with the forces of nature. Uh, well, that's just uh, straight up social dominance orientation stuff. That is, I mean, that's actually what defines you as a social dominance orientated person is the belief that inequality is uh, the natural state of things and that messing with, I mean, you know, he, he basically set himself out as, as a classic social dominance orientation, which is very closely associated with right-wing authoritarianism. Um, what actually SDOs like Jordan Peterson do is that they attract young right-wing authoritarians as their army. And of course we were also seeing that, um, same authoritarian uh, scenario playing out in the United States with Donald Trump and his followers. Yeah, I mean, we've had the, so there's been the parcel bombings. 
Um, I mean, there's been numerous, so many hate crimes connected to Donald Trump and inspired by him. And I think when we spoke last time, I can't remember, but you said there was a, definitely a rise. Oh, sorry, I'm banging my desk. There was definitely a rise in hate crimes since Donald Trump came to power. Oh, yeah, a sharp increase. Just in the first month, we had over a thousand hate crimes. And that was really, really unusual. And about half of them included people who used his name. Uh, when they, you know, <laughs> were committing these crimes, uh, they were chanting his name, Trump, 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 as a way of intimidating people or or Trump is going to get rid of you or build the wall or, you know, use his name or his rhetoric. And um, so that tells you that, you know, basically he has in these people's minds, he's given them permission to act out. And that's functionally what he's done. That possible had so many Trump uh, related posters it was almost like a terrible movie you know it was yeah. unbelievable oh yeah yeah no the um yeah the maga bomber was uh, and you notice how quickly that story's gone down the memory hole it's pretty bizarre because uh, we were obsessed with the maga bomber for about a, four or five days until he got caught and then when it turned out that he was uh, a, a rabid donald trump fan everybody went oh well okay and just moved on, and it's like, hello, are you? And partly because the next day we had the the horror horror in Pittsburgh, and that also was very clearly inspired by Donald Trump. Mm. So you know, because Trump, well, not just Trump. Let's be clear, uh, Fox mm. News and all these people that have been whipping up all the hysteria about the uh, caravan are were what fueled that uh, attack in in. Uh, in Pittsburgh, along with all the anti anti-Semitism that they're using to yeah. whip it up with. Two things. Um, first of all, can you explain? I don't quite fully understand this caravan thing. Um, could you, for the benefit of sure. us in the UK, uh, explain this uh, whole caravan sort of debate or argument or whatever it is? Well, it's 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 actually pretty simple. Um, so, the United States foreign policy in Central America has been has supported these. Um, dictators for many years, uh, and in particularly in Honduras in recent years, and we are paying the price because uh, it's turned into a human rights disaster down there, and people are fleeing the country, and they are uh, in in large numbers, and they're uh, trying to flee in these caravans in large numbers to the United States, where they are going to seek asylum. They are applying for asylum. And this is a legal uh, process. It's not that these people aren't just going to come over and, and and just cross the border like border crossers do and try to sneak into the United States. They're going to go to a port of entry and, and apply for asylum, right? Mm. I mean, and that's what the plan is. But somehow the uh, – the, uh, Conservative media, the right-wing media, particularly Fox News, has whipped it up in everybody's minds that these are guys are illegal immigrants who are planning to cross the border in mass, and uh, they and of course with Donald Trump, he's adding or throwing in there that that they have terrorists and they've got a bunch of thugs and mean hombres and whatever he wants to call them in the middle of this caravan of migrants uh, trying to make it to the United States. 
Mind you, they're still about a thousand miles away from the border, and it's going to be several weeks before they reach the border if they get there. Uh, the idea that we need our military, five, especially 5,000 troops out there to meet them is beyond absurd, especially because the vast majority of them are, are women and children. And so, um, yeah, uh, it's actually um, – and the bizarre thing about it is is that uh, this is all part of the anti-refugee campaign that Trump has been undertaking, and it's – it really it flies in the face of international law because we're supposed to be like we, we have our own laws where we, we take in people who are seeking asylum. Uh, we have a process for for assessing their cases. And if they don't, uh, you know, don't, they don't make it through the make it through the asylum process, they go back. That's how it always works. Um, but, uh, it, what's happened instead is that these guys have whipped up this huge panic around it. And so now we have these, uh, hordes of, uh, vigilante minutemen or militiamen from all over the country, including my neck of the woods in the Northwest, uh, packing up their gear and heading down to the border. Cause they're going to keep those refugees from coming over the border you know, it's just a disaster waiting to happen, and I'm afraid somebody's going to get killed. So yeah, yeah. I mean, there was um, I think it was a bit a while back on Netflix. There was some documentary about these kind of uh, militia type guys who quote unquote try and protect the border in like Nevada or Arizona and places like that. And they're just, they were just clowns. They were all just this sort of weird, hyped up, trying to be military operators. You know, they've got all these guns and all the gear, but they don't seem to have anything sort of between their ears. It was really strange. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And what is between their ears isn't isn't the healthiest stuff on the planet either. So, uh, yeah, no, I've been dealing with them for years. So, Um, it's... And, and, you know, and this is, these are the people that, you know, are vowing also to, um, go to arms if, uh, if anybody attempts to, um, impeach Trump. So, <laughs> oh, did, well, saying that some of the, um, pro, uh, Trump protests, they bring out very small numbers. So, <laughs> oh dear. So I don't know if they are that anything to really be worried about, but anyway. Yeah, yeah. But the rhetoric. But um but back to we were speaking before about the um Pittsburgh um synagogue attack. Um and and obviously with the sort of link to far right and Trumpism. Um can you just talk to us a little bit about that attack? Because that obviously happened was it last week? It was this weekend of all these sort of killings that were happening. Yes. Well, um so yeah, on on Saturday morning after we'd had this whole week of dealing with a guy running around trying to assassinate Democrats uh with pipe bombs, uh then Saturday morning this guy walked into synagogue in Pittsburgh in Mr. Rogers' neighborhood, I might add. Um literally Mr. Rogers' neighborhood. Um and opened fire with an AR fifteen and killed eleven people. Um, he had told everybody that he was, uh, all pissed off about the, uh, caravan and he was blaming Jews 
for the caravan. He's blaming George Soros and the Jews, and including as uh, there's a a Jewish organization based in Pittsburgh that the synagogue is closely affiliated with um, that assists refugees. And he had targeted this group, this organization on his uh, Gab account. He was doing all this on the social media platform Gab and uh, just said, uh, you know, well, screw the uh, uh, optics. I'm going in and basically went in to kill as many Jews as he could in this synagogue. So, um, and yeah, uh, very interestingly, you know, it used to be these mass killers would kill themselves at the end of their rampages. Um, and you may notice that uh, recently that hasn't been the case. Uh, and there's a reason for that. These guys all think they're justified. Okay. Yeah. They think they'll get off. They think Trump will pardon them or something. Dylan Roof really believes that Donald Trump is going to pardon him. Wow. Yeah. That's mad. That's absolutely mad. Yeah. I mean, yeah, just thinking of it, I mean, this it's – God, how far we've come. I mean, you just wouldn't – I mean, this is definitely not the West Wing. Um, you know, this is – you can't imagine, like, a, a fictional president or any president pardoning mass killers, but now there are people out there who think that that's possible. It's insane. Well, I don't think he would. No, but the fact that people think he would is – Give us another round and, and give us another uh, uh, another fascist president who's maybe smarter uh, than uh, I think that that would be possible. But no, I don't think uh, Trump is that uh, quite that evil. I think he's just a right-wing populist. Uh, who is more than happy to unleash the Nazis in our midst uh, if it serves his political uh, agenda. So um, thank you, Donald. Yeah. Well, didn't he call um, – was it – where was it? Was it – I've lost track now which city it was. Was it um, Charleston last year where he um, where he had the um, right-wing protesters who – and he called them fine people. Was it Charleston? Oh, yeah, sure, uh, Charlottesville. 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 Yeah, yeah, sorry. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 No, he said some of them are very fine people. You know. <laughs> and, yeah. It, and yeah. No, it was. Well, it, it, this is how Trump deals with um, the radical right and has dealt with it from the get-go. He does this tango, where. Um, he will make a gesture that actually appears to sort of encourage. Uh, the right-wing extremists. Um, and then when the outroar, inevitable outroar erupts, um, then he reacts and issues an anodyne disavowal that nobody, including the extremists themselves, actually believes. And then, then two days later, he'll turn around, he turns around and, and makes clear that he didn't really mean the disavowal, right? Um, and this is, and he's done this for for uh, all throughout. I mean, you recall he, there was a controversy over him, uh, his endorsement uh, he, by David Duke. Uh, mm-hmm. He was asked about it. He wouldn't disavow him. Uh, then disavowed him two days later, and then three days after that, sort of undid the disavowal. Uh, and this is, and this is just classic Trump. Uh, so it, this is what he always does. And interestingly, he won't even answer questions now about the MAGA bomber. And when people ask him, um, 
have asked him about, well, what to what extent do you uh, think your um, rhetoric may be inspiring this uh, this violence? He says, oh, well, what's inspiring the violence is bad is fake news. You you guys are inspiring the violence, not me. And he points at the media. So, um, you know, this is classic uh, narcissist nonsense, but uh, and uh, um, it does, you know, unfortunately, right now the United States is basically run by a banana republic dictator, and and um, we have to spend the next two years, hopefully, depending on the results today. Um, picking up the pieces, probably the next 10 years, picking up the pieces from this mess. Yeah, indeed. Did, um, one, one question, maybe Lysa question. Did we ever find out what Kafefi meant? No, I don't think anybody figured out what Kafefi, I think it was, I think it was his fat little thumbs, uh, uh, tweeting away and he accidentally hit send before he meant to. (laughs) (laughs) So it wasn't, it definitely wasn't some weird far right code that we haven't decoded. No, (laughs) no, no. It's just, it's, no, it's just our, uh, brain addled president, I'm afraid. Yeah. Yeah. That was, what I had to conclude. No, I think it sounds about, it sounds about right. <laughs> sounds about right. Now, um, just just wrapping up, really. Um, was there anything you wanted to add to what we sort of discussed today? Is there anything that kind of we we feel we're missing um, at all? I mean, one question I suppose I had was how are law enforcement sort of tackling incel the incel movement? What's their sort of reaction to all this? You may have seen in the New York Times this week that they did a long dive into how federal law enforcement was cut uh, completely sleeping uh, by the rise of uh, white nationalist uh, terrorism. Mm. And, um, you know, and, and it's, it, it was a good piece, although it, we have to, somebody should also point out that, well, the, the media had a hand in that as well, including most notably the New York times. <laughs> um you know the um I, I think that um, they're starting to catch up. We'll see there there certainly are scrambling now because they're realizing they did get caught with their um, looking the other direction because they got so focused on Islamist terrorism that they uh, forgot that these right-wing cases can can be every bit as violent. It's actually really, the problem is, is that um, we're, we seem to be, I mean, in addition to, it's not just incels, but it is the radical right generally mm. seems to be uh, moving into a phase where I think we're going to be seeing a lot more of this kind of terrorism. Um I think that they're really primed for it. They constantly are talking amongst themselves about civil war and that sort of thing. Uh, and they uh, certainly talk amongst themselves about their desire to kill liberals. Um, and that's a very common thing that I see on these chat rooms. So um, I don't know. Um, and it, unfortunately, what, you know, what, has been happening is this what Trump has been doing is what we call scripted violence. Mm-hmm. Um, it's similar to what you saw with Ro- in Rwanda, where somebody in a in a leading 
position, somebody, the person with the megaphone gets up and announces the script of the violence that they are prescribing to take place. And then the recipients of the, that message go out and actually enact the violence. And that's certainly the case, you know, it was certainly the case with the MAGA bomber because he was going around and targeting people with pipe bombs who had been named by Donald Trump as his enemies, including CNN, uh, George Soros, Hillary Clinton, Hillary and Bill, Barack Obama. I mean, everybody, you know, um, that uh, was on on the bombers list was on Donald Trump's list. Um and this is in this is a very very dangerous development, mm. and I'm uh, really deeply concerned about what will happen, especially in the case of a authoritarian president who has no boundaries uh, that any of us can detect, uh, and is going to be feeling increasingly desperate and angry over the next two years as uh, he sees power slip away from him. Um, I think we're at a very dangerous pass, uh, and uh, Americans should be prepared for a wave of, t of violence that, uh, um, you know, we need to protect ourselves from, but I don't know how. It seems to me it starts in a way around, uh, you know, it starts at home, doesn't it? It starts in our homes. It starts in our yeah. social circles, really, doesn't it? It's, it's all yes, connected it to our to dialogue with each other. Yeah, it does. It does. Um, it, it, you know, I um, but it also includes our law enforcement officials and our law enforcement have been, sh has been showing a real strong uh, tendency to not take right wing violence seriously and that has to end. Yeah. That has to end. Uh, they have to take this stuff seriously. I remember in the late 90s that it seemed to be law enforcement were, especially the FBI, were really looking into sort of these militia groups and the far right. And then I guess, uh -huh. as you were saying, it was 9-11 that kind of just changed that focus. It was. Um, no, it used to be very common. I, I didn't used to have trouble telling police officers that the biggest threat to their life and well-being were right-wing sovereign citizens because over the years, right-wing sovereign citizen extremists have uh, murdered literally dozens of American police officers in these pullovers. And uh, in the 90s, this is when the, the threat first came up, everyone understood this. But after 9-11, uh, increasingly everyone became so focused on Islamists as the big threat that white domestic terrorists were dismissed as one-offs and nobody took sovereign citizens seriously anymore. So when, uh, you know, Black Lives Matter erupted and all of these police officers were accusing black people of, of, of being, um, no, or try, you know, you know, they they respond. Their response to Black Lives Matter, you recall, is Blue Lives Matter, right? Yeah, I remember that. But oddly enough, Blue Lives Matter doesn't get all excited about. You know, we've had a couple of actually sovereign citizens killing police officers in the last couple of years. They don't get all worked up about that. They only get worked up about Black Lives Matter activism. And there's only been one case: the the Dallas. Uh, uh, terrorist who shot the six, five police officers in Dallas. Um, 
uh, he wasn't a Black Lives Matter activist, but he was definitely angry about those issues and was doing it at a, he, he shot those cops at a, a protest over, uh, basically shot them at a Black Lives Matter protest. Um, and so, you know, that those murders were associated with Black Lives Matter, but um, somewhat unfairly, I thought. Um, but in any event, Black Lives Matter itself is not an, a, a violent organization and they don't argue for violence. Uh, they, they want reform. They want police reform. You know, that's what they're arguing for. And it, it, so it's, it's crazy to compare them to the sovereign citizens who openly uh, acknowledged it. Violent, you know, killing police officers is perfectly acceptable. <laughs> you know, that's part of their ideology. The police situation in America seems quite complex in comparison to the UK because you've obviously it's state by state, but you've also got sheriffs as well as then state police um, and then city police. And there's no, it doesn't seem to be any, I mean, I could be wrong here, but it doesn't appear to be any kind of body that sets out a particular standard of behavior it does seem to be down to the department and their internal training and yes. this uh, to me appears um i think is why there are so many um officers using extreme force in situations that are not necessary and it just seems to be there's no sort of de-escalation training it just seems to be all force you know overpower them and all that's it kind of thing for one thing we have action movie culture in the united states mm. seems to have polluted a lot of the way uh, people want to uh, approach uh, police uh, work. And secondly, I think that no matter what, I think police work uh, attracts authoritarian personalities. Um, so they're, t they tend to be pretty conservative anyway. And what's been happening in a lot of cases is that these guys are in the States anyway. They're just watching Fox News all the time. And, and they, so they, buy into all this stuff about Black Lives Matter, uh, the, the propaganda about them. So I don't know. That's that's just my observation. Uh, we definitely have a problem with, with police here uh, uh, protecting when we've had these uh, alt-right street events, uh, street riots. Uh, we've definitely had a problem with the police uh, very much favoring the right-wing side in these demonstrations and, and beating up on the left hands or left wingers and arresting left wingers, but not, do, not doing anything to prevent violence by right wingers. Yeah. Um, particularly in Portland, that's been a problem. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. There's a lot of online debate, um, sort of, uh, vitriol about Antifa, but not as much about the far right, yeah. you know, <laughs> about Nazis, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Well, it's it's it is pretty funny. Uh, these cops will be out there, uh, basically uh, being all buddy buddy with these guys that I know are sovereign citizens, and and but but they the they look across the way and they see see the anti fascists yelling, and they hate those guys even more apparently because they do hate the uh, the anti fascists with a. The deep passion. And the problem is the anti-fascists are just a tiny faction. I mean, they're probably number in the thousands uh, total in America. And, and they're very – they have no power. They're not very influential. Uh, basically, appear in only a handful of urban cities, really. Um, whereas the alt-right is, is ubiquitous, numbers in the hundreds of thousands. And probably so does uh, the Patriot Militia Movement. So, um, 
you know, we're talking very differences in scale here, or very, very significant, significant differences in scale. Yeah. Well, David, is there anything else you want to add to what we've sort of discussed today? I uh, no, other than uh, well, I am watching. It. So we're recording this on election day, and I'm uh, hoping that we have a positive outcome. Uh, otherwise, no uh, uh, of any good jobs there in the UK? <laughs> oh, man, we've got Brexit coming. <laughs> yeah, I know. You guys are in almost as bad a shape as we are. Yeah. But you, at least you don't have a prime minister calling the press uh, enemy of the people, which is what worries me. Yeah, not yet but, we don't. Depends if there's a power change in the Conservative yeah. Party or another election. Um, yeah, it's 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 a strange time right now. I'm, I'm kind of likening it to, you know, those time travel programs where somebody goes back in time and they find themselves on the bridge of the Titanic and they have this internal debate. Hang on a minute. We can't change history. We've got to just right. let the ship like hit the iceberg. <laughs> and it kind of feels a bit like that at the moment. Right. <laughs> The time tunnel. Yeah. I, oh, God, I remember the time tunnel. I used to love that program. <laughs> I did, too. That was my favorite show. <laughs> that was a great show. I used to, oh God, when I was a kid, I, used to, I remember we used to roll down the grass banks pretending we just jumped out of the time tunnel. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> well, that was what they did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's go find a nice hill for you guys to roll down. <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. Oh dear. I'll try and find that episode. <laughs> but yeah, unfortunately they still let the ship sink, didn't they? Oh, yeah, they dear. did. And and Lincoln got shot and yeah. Yeah, yeah. No. Well and, right, and that was uh yes, the famous Star Trek episode with that Harlan and Ellison wrote where they went back to and and Kirk fell in love with Joan Collins. Oh yeah, City of the Edge of Forever. Yeah, yeah. And uh, he had to let her die. <laughs> or else they would change history. <laughs> oh dear. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what bizarre yeah, times we're in at the moment. But um well it is a it is election day and good luck to you. I mean obviously by the time this airs, people will know what the yeah. uh, what, well, we're in the part uh, well, where are we at the moment? In the future you'll know what the result is. We don't at the moment, so <laughs> So you either look back um and be happy or be laughing at us or I don't know, or be sad, I'm not sure. But uh Yeah. Not a cherry one. But look, David, I better um, let you go. But quickly, bef um, just to wrap up, where can listeners find out more about you and your work? Well, so uh, my main body of work appears on the Southern Poverty Law so Center website, Hate Watch. But I also, I've got a piece uh, going to run in the Washington Post this week. And um, I do a fair amount of freelancing. Uh, I had a piece uh, go up on the Baffler uh, last week, um, after the Pittsburgh shooting, that uh, I'd urge people to check out. It's basically a debunking of the claim that both sides do it. But uh, yes, just um, I have, uh, you can find me on Twitter under my name. And uh, that's where I post, I'll post everything that uh, I write there. Brilliant. Well, thank you for coming on the podcast today. Thank you. My pleasure. Like what we're doing? Connect with us on Twitter at DryCleanerCast. Support the show by becoming a DryCleanerCast Patreon subscriber today. Go to patreon.com slash drycleanercast. That's patreon.com slash drycleanercast. Thanks for listening. This is Need to Know. <laughs>